Welcome to episode 17 of that classical podcast. This time, Mozart and Haydn. Come and rock me, Amadeus. Hello. Hello. My name is Chris Bland. And my name is Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 17 of That Classical Podcast. Yay. Welcome. Welcome listeners worldwide, especially in New Zealand. We've noticed there <laughs> we are see a lot you. of you. We, we see you, Kiwi listeners. Um, today's a really special day, lads, because we will be talking about Mozart and Haydn, the two biggest dogs that ever were in a dog place. <laughs> um, and I guess we should just say it now. We're really sorry if we missed something out. We only have a very yeah. limited amount of time to, to talk today. So It's um, the nature of the format. Give us like, a break. <laughs> there's going to be, unfortunately, lots of biographical and musical details that we're going to have to skip over at some point. But we'll try yeah. and distill it down to its interesting nuggets of information. We will. Those nuggets will be there. We'll try our, our very best. So, right, without further ado, Mozart. Mozart. Oh my God. And as is tradition, every time we do an episode with two composers, this we're going to have a 60 second. 60. It's the time 60 for second the biography. Smashed it every time. <laughs> every time. How, how are you feeling about this, oh, Mozart? Lads, I'm feeling really nervous. You've got to give me a break today. There's so much information on the internet, <laughs> and 60 seconds just isn't enough. Well, I'll try. Tough cheese, as they say. Do they say tough cheese? Never, nowhere. But I'll take Hard it. Cheese. Hard cheese. Hard <laughs> cheese. Uh, you've got one minute, sixty of Her Majesty's seconds, <clears throat> to talk to me about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Are you ready? Oh, jeez. Yes. Okay. Three, two. One, start! Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was born in January 1756 in Salzburg, Austria. His dad, Leopold, was a composer and violinist and introduced Wolfie and his older sister Anna to music at a young age. They were both hugely talented and both were paraded around Europe performing this as child prodigies. Mozart wrote his first symphony when he was eight years old. By the age of 13, he was displaying his abilities as a composer and performer to incredibly influential people. And by 17, he was employed by the Archbishop, Archbishop of Salzburg, composing symphonies, <laughs> string quartets, sonatas and serenades and a few operas. But he argued a lot with the Archbishop about payment and performing and a few years later, they had a huge tiff and Mozart resigned and was literally kicked in the arse on his way out. He settled in Vienna, taking on pupils as he wrote music and played in concert. Mary Constanza against his dad wishes in 1782 also shagged her sister started popping out kids which was hugely influenced by Bach and Handel met Haydn became manly good friend bros operas like Die Entenführung made Mozart a success around Europe and he began to spend lavishly which racked up debts and by the mid 1780s they were in financial trouble tried to get a court appointment began on going rival with Antonio Salieri Amadeus great film Tom Hutch take me now 1786 premiered The Marriage of Figaro warmly received premiered Don Giovanni in 1787 great times by 1787 Emperor Joseph II appointed Mozart as chamber composer but financially he still struggled and began to suffer physically experienced back thoughts and deep depression uh but he was fine and then um, died in 1791 at 35 years old. Ooh, oh. one minute, three seconds. Oh, Scheiße. You've you know what? It. I missed out a bit as well. <laughs> Did you have to miss I out? I tried so hard. So I just missed out that basically uh, by the end of his life, he was kind of struggling financially and physically and mentally right. and fell into this deep depression in sort of 17, 88, 89. Mm. But then he did come out of it in his final few years and wrote Cosi Van Tutti in 1790. And uh, he wrote The Magic Flute. He wrote um, Piano Concerto in B-flat and his Requiem. But then he died. Gutted. He died really young, didn't he? He died super young, thirty-five, I think, just or God. just on the cusp of thirty-six. In he's his like prime, the origi- he's the original like child star, isn't he? I like, know. Super child star, toured all around Europe, and then like sort of burns out. But didn't you also say somewhere in there that he, he slept with his wife's sister? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so um, basically, he was like really good friends with this family, and uh, I think it's the Weber family, yeah. and um, so. 
he fancied <laughs> uh, this this woman called uh, Aloysia, right? But she and she was Constanza's sister, but she went off and got married to some other dude. And then later on, when Mozart saw her again in like Paris in some like someone's room, they had a bit of an unpleasant encounter. So um, classic. Mozart sat down at a piano in the room and sang in a loud voice. First time for our German viewers, listeners. Leck mir das Mensch im Arsch, das mich nicht will. <laughs> Which means the one who doesn't want me can lick my ass. <laughs> okay, so that gives Very you a Mozartian. little bit. Very Mozartian, good. Yeah, and... We'll get onto it later, but Haydn was also in love with his wife's sister? No way! No. I mean, I don't know, we'll I mean, I have no idea if he was in love with her, but clearly he was slightly upset. Mm-hmm. He did um, a boink. Also, like, on that kind of topic... Mozart seems like the most immature, rude and ridiculous man that ever lived. Like, I love him very dearly. Well, of course he is. He's like Justin Bieber. You become world famous at age 12. Okay. Would How Justin, would you not have an ego? Would Justin Bieber ever do this? We'll ever see. write this? Okay, so look. Mozart, and who wouldn't, had um, a kind of penchant for talking about <laughs> poo a lot. Um, feces. In one letter to his 19-year-old cousin Marianne, a 21-year-old Mozart wrote, I now wish you a good night. Shit in your bed with all your mind. <laughs> yeah, so so that's that. And Mozart, I forgive you, is all I'll say. <laughs> but from scatology to... Requiems? Sure, <laughs> why not? Why not? a decent segue? It's a great segue. Um, lads, we're going to talk about Mozart's Requiem today. This is our first piece by Mozart we're talking about. Yes. Lovely. And uh, as always, I bring everything back to the film Amadeus uh, <laughs> because this is the first time I heard this Requiem and it's stuck with me ever since. Um, but basically, what's a Requiem? I hear you cry. What's, what's a Requiem, the Kelly? side of the room. So it's like a piece that... Technically, in Catholicism, it's it's something that puts the soul at rest, like, you know, puts the soul in eternal rest mm. or something. Um, but generally, it's just, I guess, a token of remembrance or something you play at someone's funeral okay. or whatever. Right. So get comfy. <laughs> the story behind this is great. It all started when the Count von Walsegg's wife, Anna, died on Valentine's Day oh, in 1791. That's got Picture to put a dampener on it. Oh, oh, dear. And... Uh, he decided to anonymously commission a requiem from Moza, okay, right. uh, hoping to pass it off as his own when it was done. <laughs> cheeky, very cheeky. And Mozart was kind of already unwell at this point and um, started to actually believe that he'd been cursed to write a requiem for himself because he was oh, about wow. to pop his clogs. So, that, so that's in the film so Amadeus. That is, that, so that Amadeus really like obviously embroidered that with some myth but um but the he genuinely felt that he, he was writing that for himself oh, because wow. it, it and it had gen and you know if you watch Amadeus as well Mozart is incredibly freaked out by this kind of masked figure that keeps asking him to complete <laughs> yeah. this thing but I think partly that's true because it was through these weird intermediaries that he was asked he never met this right. count that actually commissioned it so sadly um uh Wolfie as he was called, passed away before finishing it uh, and never got to hand it over. Right. But, so he completed the first movement, right? And he'd finished the vocal parts and bass line for the whole thing, okay? The mm. whole Requiem. Mm. Except, uh, except for the Lacrimosa, which he only completed about eight bars. But basically, because he did this, a musician could fill in the rest. 
But obviously, when you're not Mozart, that's kind of not as easy <laughs> as it sounds. It's not like paint by numbers, and you can't just like put an epic sax solo like mm. right in the middle. As, not really stylistically appropriate. Like to do that. So basically, Mozart's composition pupil, a dude called Franz Susmeyer, mm. kind of had to sort it out as best he could, and then Constanza gave it to the count to claim the rest of the money she was owed. Mm. Uh, so she kind of did a fib. Okay. Slash, maybe she was Sorry, having. Could- Cassandra being Wolfie's the wife. wife. Yeah, right, Wolfie, right, right. Wolfie's wife. And she may have been having an affair with Franz, Sue oh. Who knows? Google it. Juicy. So <laughs> actually, according to some sources, though, at least four composers worked on it mm. after Mozart died. I'm not quite sure about that one. But basically, poor Sue definitely did. And slash everyone and their dog may have as well. <laughs> but everyone now thinks they absolutely phoned it in. Really? And it's not really representative of what Mozart would have done. And loads of people have tried to finish it in different like ways. Like, in their own ways. So, I mean, yeah. just calm down. Google that. <laughs> I mean, I don't really care who wrote it. It's wonderful and stunning and beautiful. You've Have you heard it? Oh, mate, I've, I've sung live. it from years ago. You've we sung, sung it in, like, our school choir and stuff. And I, uh, so I don't know if you know this, ladies and gents, I did Latin for A-level, so they got me to do a translation <laughs> of the text for the programme for the concert. <laughs> Why did they ask you? Because I'm... I'm not a teacher, a professional. Well, because I did music and I did Latin. They were like, hey, Chris, do this. I was like, is okay, that... I love Latin. Yeah, I think you should put that on your Tinder profile. Uh, yeah, Latin translator from a young age. I'm sure all the babes would love it. I'm sure they would. Yeah. Um, I'm sure um, all the babes and lads are going to love this as well. Let's Let's hit it. Ah, yes, my soul feels so I at rest feel now with the... <laughs> so relaxed. <laughs> um, yeah. what's, what's that one about? What? So, yeah, that that's basically saying, like, I don't want to end up in fiery hell. I want to be saved by... Like, w- wicked people are going stuff. to hell, but, but I'm not... not me. Right, got it, got it. <laughs> I'm the best. Um, yeah, but, I mean, and again, guys, I don't know if Mozart wrote really any of that um i'm hoping basically all we know is that he had written the baseline and and the sort of words cool he had the like the, the but he did core it all, of the idea yeah so but you know what i think susmeyer did a great job yeah i mean i didn't get lay off him do you know what i mean um yeah so um so so that's that i hope you enjoyed it um and go i mean there are like 15 movements guys so, it's a really really great piece um yeah. go out and listen to it and obviously go and watch amadeus and you'll see uh, a version where he's like writing it on his tablet. it's so good um, but yeah, you love that film. Too I do. Much. I do. I, it's a problem. I need a big poster. That classical podcast. Next. Hello. Um, so we are going straight on down the road, maybe Lovely. back up the road to an earlier time in Mozart's life. Got it. Seventeen eighty-one. 
Things were in full swing. Okay, and nice. um, we are going to talk about the sonata for two pianos Ooh. in D major. D major, very happy key. It's a very it's cheery key. It's a jolly, key. jovial key. And, uh, and so is this piece. I chose it because I thought, wow, we've just listened to a requiem about like hell and stuff. We need some... Some, <laughs> some mood music, some you lighter know, stuff. Yeah. Flouncy, you got it. And so, Wolfie... It was 25, okay? You're 25. Uh, no, I'm 26. Oh, shit, sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, terrify me. Sorry, you can cut that out. Jeez, I won't. I'll keep it in. So he was 25, uh, and uh, he composed it for a performance he was going to give with fellow pianist Josepha slash Josephine Josepha. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Josepha Ironhammer. Can you please just say that? Josepha Ironhammer. Okay, that's how it's done. Not for me. Um, and apparently she fell in love with Mozart. Everyone was bloody uh, falling in love with Mozart all over the shop. He is Justin Bieber. I mean, of course I would have too. Also, on that He's point... Justin Bieber. Being a pop star and stuff. Yeah. He, um, just the way that he wrote pieces reminds me of the way people write pop songs today. How do you mean? So, like, when he... Um, introduced Constanza, his wife, to his dad and his sister. Yeah. Um, they had, it was like a really cool reception, like they hated her. <laughs> so Mozart went home and wrote Mass in C minor <laughs> as like a response. Like instead of like, mom and dad, you hate my girlfriend. He literally wrote, he wrote a mass. mass in C minor. And I feel like that is the old That's... school equivalent of baby, baby, baby. <laughs> oh. Which is great. Anyway, point being, so Mozart wrote this piece for this Josefa, was it? Josefa, Josefa lady. Uh, and actually, this is one of his few compositions for two pianos. Mm. Now, it's a great tune. We're going to listen to it in a sec. But before we do, you should know this sonata was used in the scientific study that tested the theory of the Mozart effect. Oh, what's the Mozart suggesting effect? that classical music increases brain activity more positively than other kinds of music. Mm-hmm. So basically, it, like the patients that listened to this piano sonata, imp- it improved their spatial reasoning skills and reduced the number of like seizures they had if they had epilepsy. Wow. That classical podcast, right. helping out the world. Guys, you now have a moral obligation to tell all your friends to listen to this episode because it'll make them it'll live longer, them, yeah, it'll make them cleverer. cleverer. And just chill, chill. So we're going to listen to the first movement, which is Allegro con Spirito, obviously, and then it was the Andante and then there's a Molto Allegro. But it's great. Hopefully it will make you a bit cleverer. Um, <laughs> let's go. That's what I think yeah, of, yeah. of that, that really just virtuosic classical sound. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think sounds really nice about that is that sort of because he was famous for just having scores fully formed into his head right, and yeah. he'd write them. And I think um, I was reading an article like a, a while back that said that they'd found or like recovered or studied some of his old scores and it said there were basically no crossings through on any of them like he just had the idea in his head and just wrote it on paper amazing yeah i remember which is astonishing i read something that he went 
to as like the Vatican or something and heard Miserere d- uh, Allegri yeah yeah Miserere, and, and yeah. then wrote it all down afterwards he'd heard it once yeah. and then from uh, memory yeah. he's literally such a ledge I would absolutely have fancied the pants off him <laughs> um, but yeah so so if you can imagine this so sorry I didn't explain this before but this is genuinely a song for two pianos so when it's performed there'll be two grand pianos on stage um, sometimes they're kind of you know wrapped around each other you Nestled know very close yeah other times maybe not but it's amazing and and um i actually really suggest that you go on youtube and you watch a performance of it so you see what the two pianists are doing and because it all sounds sort of like one huge piano really at some <laughs> points but you'll hear that they mimic each other and you'll see mm. the kind of uh, call and response that that's no, happening it's terribly and clever really isn't it? like oh just go and watch it it's it's fantastic um and uh yeah i mean terrifyingly that's all we've got for Mozart today I could talk for another hour yeah (laughs) and actually when I was trying to pick pieces I realised I'd already played a a few of my favourites already Mm. Um, I love a lot of Mozart's operas and I'm sure we'll be playing some more from (laughs) from those Um, but just go and rummage around and don't be put off just because it Mozart you just automatically think oh dull boring you know like Mozart has great pieces they're really different to what you would expect um so just you know go off on one and tell us what you find right beautiful yeah das klassische podcast well kelly it's time to play a bit of hide and seek uh, hide and seek cuz we're seeking hiden cuz we're, we're talking about hiden i'm excited do you know what and i'll level with everyone over here i don't really know any hiden pieces i bet you do do so I? Do you do? Maybe I'm. Um, let's go on this journey together, listeners, because I probably don't recognise. Do you know? Da, 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 Deutschland, da. Deutschland, Uber Alles. Well, <laughs> yeah, back in the day it was called that. It's still the <laughs> for a very specific Maybe period of German history. <laughs> it's still the German national anthem, just in different words. Okay, fair play. Anyway, Haydn wrote that. Okay, great. He called it the um, the Emperor's Hymn. I'll say, yeah. Um, He's written lots of famous pieces. You will okay. overall. Well, you'll I'm excited to hear about it. And obviously, Haydn was busy mates with. Oh no! Should we should we save that? Well, we've already mentioned it. Like he, yeah. he hung around Haydn with Haydn and Mozart, Mozart, best man friend bros, bromates, bros. <laughs> well, they, they were both rolling around in Austria, Vienna, and the they same wrote sort pieces for each other and stuff, mm. like friendship pieces, like friendship bracelets. <laughs> um, right, come on now. I need to time you. Are you ready for my sixty-second biography? Sixty-second biography. Okay. I've got it. Ready. Okay. Three. Yeah. Two. One. Joseph Haydn was born 1732, died 1809. We call him the father of symphonies and also of string quartets. Uh, he was born near Vienna. He was a choir boy. Then he got kicked out when his voice broke. Also, he pranked another chorister by cutting off their pigtail and he got caned and kicked out of the choir. Uh, he struggled by as a composer for a few years after that. Didn't really get men. Didn't really get anywhere. Uh, 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 1760, marries Maria Anna Keller, a wig maker's daughter, but he's actually in love with her sister. Oops. Uh, she becomes a nun. Haydn stays with Maria. Long, crappy marriage. Lots of affairs. Uh, 1761, uh, he gets signed up by the Esterhazy family there. His patrons, oh God, who set him up for life, basically. On and off, he worked for the family for the rest of his life, basically. They were the most powerful nobles in Hungary. Uh, He composed and conducted the house musicians, composed just a stupid amount of stuff for them, and developed a very unique style during this time. Um, Over the years, he became famous throughout Europe. He was a very savvy businessman, got lots of commissions, teaching in London when he was very famous. Uh, He got older and weaker. Played the Empress Hymn that I just talked about, the da 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 da. Three times in a row, (laughs) collapsed and died five years later. Um, They played Mozart Recommended's funeral, and um, his head was stolen after his death, and he was quite short and ugly. 
sorry okay that was one minute exactly well done sorry (laughs) um sorry can we immediately return to his head was stolen after his death let's just go from there and work backwards right i I had to fit quite a lot into the last (laughs) that was excellent by the way i did enjoy (laughs) it great um so yeah as i mentioned before they played mozart's requiem at his funeral because they were dude bros they were good pals dude boy friends yeah, so one of the uh, secretaries <laughs> of the Estahazi sort of household dug up his body after his death and stole his head. Um, and this was because it's of... not a nice thing to do. Because, um, you know, phrenology, where they yeah, used to, the like... Yeah, the skull. Yeah, they measure your skull mm. and, like, the dimensions of your skull were supposed to... Sure, tell them about you. Tell them and, about you. Yeah, yeah. So they were looking for skulls of people with, like, extraordinary talent. So they stole Haydn's skull. And then uh, a few years later, the big daddy Esterhazy um, sort of <laughs> decided, oh, it's time to exhume his body and sort of rebury it somewhere more appropriate. <laughs> Found out it didn't have a head. It was like, what? <laughs> um, and basically it'd, Sorry, be, it'd been like kicking around for years and like had passed hands through Hopefully wills and stuff. This yeah. secretary, um, I think, re-got it and then hid it in a mattress and they had his house <gasps> searched. And what? his wife had to lie on top of it and pretend to be menstruating so no one would look in the mattress. Are you having a joke? <laughs> and then, um, so his skull was only reunited with the rest of his body in 1954. Because, so, <laughs> throughout all this time, so then the Estahazis, they thought they'd gotten the real skull back, but they hadn't. It was a decoy skull. So that's when they hid the Made skull in the mattress and stuff. Just someone else's skull. Um, and then eventually, like, they got round to it in 1954, reunited his body with his head, but now there are two skulls in his tomb. They kept the, like, the decoy the skull there. Skull. <laughs> the skull. Yeah. So, yeah, Haydn is buried with two skulls. I did not expect this. Yeah, weird, right? <laughs> what the hell, man? Who hides a skull in a mattress as well? Like, what was she thinking? Well, there's like, nowhere else to hide it. What did the guests say? Like, oh, sorry, mate. This well, it was only for a while. It was only for a while. It wasn't there for a long time. And also, but... she just was, like, having a bit of a period. On yeah, it. she was like, sorry, on my period, oh, you can't come near me. Oh, Hayden, who's been around the houses. Anyway, great, that's just one part of it. Great dinner party story, yeah. though, yeah. So back to what I was saying at the beginning, Sorry, yeah. that he was the um, father of symphonies. Now, prolific doesn't even come close to describing oh, his output. Baby. So when we talk about symphonies, like composers, they write what, like nine mm. max? Like mm-hmm. Beethoven wrote nine, mm-hmm. like Vaughan Williams wrote nine. Like y- you don't get into like double figures that Generally, often. Yeah. So Mozart wrote 41 over the course of mm. his life, which is a lot. Like Mozart well, was insanely productive. Yeah. Haydn wrote 106 full-length symphonies. He's just showing off, isn't it? It's nuts. Just showing off. So it was because he was employed by the Esterhazy family, these okay, Hungarian nobles, right. that he just had so much free time and no like so they weren't, financial support. They weren't requesting those symphonies. He yeah, was, yeah, they, they were, were, they were. Okay. So he would give like, um, I'll... Yeah, this kind of segues actually into the first piece. So he... Too good at my job. (laughs) He was commissioned by the family to write sort of operas and pieces specifically for them. And so they sort of do weekly concerts with new music every week. Then also like daily chamber music. wow. And they had a staff of 25 musicians. Yeah. And that was just Haydn's orchestra that he had full time with him there that he could write for. These guys were, like, crazy rich. Amazing! So he got really, really lucky there. So, yeah, like I said, it was uh, 1761. So he was about sort of 29, 30 when he he got this job. (laughs) 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had these ridiculous grounds. There were two theatres in the house, one for opera and one for marionette plays. That is just greedy. Uh, there were what, two... marionette puppets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, a puppet <laughs> theatre. Is that not everyone's dream? Like, I bet P. Diddy has a freaking marionette theatre. Um, on top of that, they just had two massive music rooms as well. So, Sick. like, huge, huge grounds. Sick. Nice. Yeah, and so while he was at the Esterhazy's, he sort of developed this really unique style, basically because he was cut off from all the other music trends in Europe, because he was in this sort of like... He lived in a puppet theatre, pretty much. He lived in a puppet theatre, a puppet theatre, rather, in sort of rural Hungary. Imagine the nightmares, yeah. Um, And he was the only one writing music there. Sure. Yeah, it's a really interesting style that he had, so he... All of his tunes sort of sound quite familiar, even if they're new. Like, everything's quite sort of... Like a One Direction song. Absolutely like a One Direction (laughs) song. Yeah, so this was... He's he's one of the classical composers who... Yeah, that's... I mean, that's the kind of the point about the classical. It's meant to sound, like, neat and ordered. You're like... Ah, yes. Yes, I'll take it. This is music. Um, So he takes these tunes that sound sort of quite obvious in a way, but then does cool stuff with the dynamics or the harmony or, like, comes up with some cool ideas. So the first piece we're going to talk about today is, in fact, the very first symphony he wrote for the Esterhazy's on moving in. Okay. Um, So this is his sixth symphony. So he hadn't been slouching before then. He'd already written five. (laughs) Um, Good to know. So written in 1761, the year he, he joined them, mm-hmm. the Esterhazy court. And basically this was his attempt to sort of ingratiate himself with the household and the musicians and stuff. Mm-hmm. And be like, hey guys, what's, what's, what's happening? happening? What's, a, the, what's the crack? Have a little symphony. <laughs> it's called Le Matin. It was nicknamed Le Matin, which means the morning. Yes. Um, because of its opening, which sounds like a sunrise. What does a sunrise sound like? Oh, it's I funny you should I... say that. <laughs> Sounds just like a sunrise. It does, no, that was absolutely lovely. No, I really, I really enjoyed it. Lovely. Yeah, it's nice. And then, so after that, the parts get pretty virtuosic. So what he did was, <laughs> okay. um, at the time, basically, virtuosity equals dollar dollar bills, or in this case, florins, because they're hungry. Dollar dollar bills. Florin, florin bills. Florin, florin bills. Make it rain. So if you could show that you were sort of really highly virtuosic musician you'd get paid more Dollar. like more respects wow and so this was his way of like getting in the good books of all the musicians by giving like each part of the orchestra they each get like their own virtuosic no bit way. to show off like no. a little solo part so they'd all be like this this guy Haydn he's a pretty cool dude <laughs> wow thanks cool dude Haydn <laughs> um and so he did that to get in their good books and then also wrote this sort of it's just sort of a really, really nice piece just to be like, ah, oh, thank you, Esther Huzzies. Here I am. Here's some lovely, beautiful music for what you. A delightful gentleman. Absolutely. Um, not much more to say about it other than that, really. Other than So that's that's the, the sort of quite placid, calm start we get. And then it gets, and then bit, it gets all it like jumpy and, yeah. and fun and frosty. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing. You're very welcome. That Classical Podcast. 
Next up, we got The Creation. Whoa, that sounds intense. The Creation. <laughs> so this is an oratorio that Haydn wrote in 1798. Remind me, what's an oratorio, mate? Oratorio is basically religious opera, Sick. but not staged. Um, All right. On a stage, but not, like, acted. Cool. They perform on the stage. Got it. Um, and it tells the, the story from uh, Genesis, loosely, of God creating the world and light and heaven and earth and blah, 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 all the way through to... Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but Ooh. they do not mention the fall. Controversial, yeah. <laughs> that bit is handily skipped over and Goodbye. they finish there. <laughs> yeah. So, do you remember a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about um, Baroque, specifically about Handel's Messiah? Do I? And yes. Haydn said, he is the master of us all. <laughs> oh, yes, he is the master of us all. That's my favourite. <laughs> so yeah, that was Haydn who said that after hearing a performance of Handel's Messiah. Do you know what's funny? Sorry, I hate to butt in, but no, go here I go. Um, so um, speaking of he is the master of us all, Mozart also loved Handel. Loved- <laughs> Mozart, Mozart loved also Handel. loved Handel's. It sounds like I'm saying love Handel's. Um, but he loved Handel's Messiah so much. Do you remember in our Baroque episode where you played a bit of Handel's Messiah? Yeah. And I was like, that sounds a bit like Mozart's Requiem. Yeah. I bet he pinched that. And then everyone was a bit like, Kelly, what's she going on about? She's probably drunk or whatever. <laughs> I genuinely read an article today that was like, Mozart, Hundy P, Pilford. No way. Yeah. That, dun, 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 from Handel's Messiah. Mate. I was on it. I was on the money. Anyway, just to say I told you so, rub that in your face. Carry on. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, But yeah, so Handel, yet another reason to show how Haydn and Mozart were super mega dude dude bros, buddy pals, that they were both big, big Handel fans. Basically, they fangirled over Handel. Absolutely. Mm. So Haydn specifically, after he saw the Messiah, he was just like, what? This is amazing. Mm. I have to do something like this. Mm. And so he wrote the creation and wanted this really sort of big Handelian sound. Is that 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 I'm going to say it is. Handelian sound. So he used much bigger forces than he usually did with his chamber orchestra, the Esterhazy's, because at this point he wrote it, like I said, 1798. Mm -hmm. So at this point he's sort of, he's gone travelling around a bit. He's not so much tied to the Esterhazy court. Right. And so... Big old orchestra, massed choir, three soloists. It's Ooh. sort of, it's it's a big work. Big boy pants. He's put on his big boy <laughs> pants. <laughs> Great. So the little excerpt we're going to listen to now, it's really interesting. So what you should listen out for is depiction of the text with the music. So what's known as word painting. Oh, we've talked so about that We have talked about word painting. Yeah. So this is going to be um, the representation of chaos going into when God said, let there be light. So we won't hear all of the chaos, but the chaos is, as you might imagine, the tempo feels quite loose and it's quite dissonant and all the parts are like weaving in and out of each other. You don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then let's listen to what happens. Oh, my dear. Like, when that was first performed, someone should have burst out of a cake, like, at the big point. And if they haven't, that's what I would do. When they did first perform it, people just, like, went nuts about it. So that's the words they're singing there, sort of, and God said, let there be 
Light. Oh my god! So it's like the equivalent of a beat dropping now, basically. Like the club yeah, goes yeah. mad. The club went nuts. That's great. Um, and even so, the last concert uh, Haydn actually ever attended was in uh, 1808, and it was a performance of cre- the Creation. Oh. Um, light happened. The, uh, there was light happened. <laughs> Audience went nuts, and he was like, "Guys, not me. It's all about God." And like, I know we talked earlier about D major being a really happy key. It is. So this is a massive C major chord. Oh. Yes. Which is um, interesting for a couple of reasons. So it's, it's seen as sort of like a very pure chord because there's no sharps or flats yeah, in it. It's, it's just C major is a key with no accidentals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's sort of taken as like, it's often used to represent sort of the, the, the basis of something or the sublime or something sort of perfect. Like pure yeah, exactly, mm, exactly. Great. And so for him to give us this sort of enormous whacking great C major chords. Stonking great. <laughs> stonking great. A whopping stonking yeah. C major chord. It's just quite cool and powerful. I mean, I think. Like, yeah, I loved, yeah. It. I loved it. Especially after that really um, calm and, and sort exactly. of. Uh, False sense of security. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, harmony layer all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, brilliant. Anything um, else? Yeah, one little thing was that, so it was, um, so that version was in German. There are both English and German versions of it. Mm-hmm. But um, originally, the same guy did the librettos for both. And so the English version quite often just has like really awkwardly shoehorned English into it because they tried to fit it to like German that phrasing. amazing. Um, so well worth a listen, is it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not only creation, but uh, another really famous piece by him is a trumpet concerto he wrote. Oh. Oh, don't um, get many of those. You don't. No, don't. Yeah, no, I like um, a good trumpet. You'll recognise it. You know, it's the. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll know. Sorry, it when you I, you should have stopped that earlier, but I was enjoying it. Um, no, I don't know that one. But you do. I'll... Shut up. Okay, cool. All right. Um, great. Well, go. Everyone, go listen to some trumpets. And uh, great, thanks. Please leave us a five star review. Please leave us a five star review. Please leave us a five star review. So there we have it. I mean, wow. Um, I We've only scratched the surface of the surface of the surface <laughs> of I feel like we, we say this every episode. Like, we but try so hard. It's especially prevalent this time, I feel. Um, Listeners, I promise we, t- we do try and distill down the, the yeah. essential nuggets of information <laughs> yeah. for you, but inevitably there's stuff we've had to miss out. Yeah, so let us know. What do you want to hear? Yes, exactly. From us. Do you want to hear more Mozart, more Haydn? we got a lot more to talk about. Yeah, we do. And you can get in touch with us through our social media channels. So mm. you can find us on Twitter. We're at That Classical. Yes. Uh, we're on Instagram at That Classical Insta. It's true. Uh, you can write us an email, thatclassicalemail at gmail.com. We love getting fan mail from you. It's oh, great. yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Facebook as well, That Classical Podcast. Yeah. Um, but more than that, um, if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, that would help us That'd tremendously. Tremendous. Um, yeah. And thank you to everyone that has already. We really appreciate it. Mm. We're working our way up the little iTunes chart so <laughs> little um, by little. It's, it's great and thank you so much for listening and for all your support and we'll see you next time see you next time right, bye, bye. Amadeus, 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 Amadeus. Oh, 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 Amadeus. come and rock me Amadeus <laughs>